So today is the absolute last Sunday for us to discuss Hosea. And there's something about it. It's Christmas time. It's Christmas time, right? And we're still talking about a prostitute. So something doesn't seem quite right about that. So we're going to end this today. Um, and uh, if you look with me at Hosea chapter 14, we're looking at just four verses today. So don't go there on the slides just yet. But if you have your Bibles or your apps, turn to Hosea chapter 14, verses 1 to 4. Now, um, I know I say this every week, but I'm trying to make sure that if anyone new comes into the room, they know what we're talking about so they're not left hanging going, what are they talking about with this Hosea person? So just one more time, Hosea is a what? What is Hosea? He's a prophet to the nation of Israel, and he married someone named who? What was her name? Gomer, and she was a promiscuous woman. Some call her a prostitute. Now, here's the deal. God commanded, listen, God commanded Hosea to marry Gomer for one reason. It was to point out Israel's idolatry. It was so, it was so that as a prophet, he could stand before them with tears in his eyes and say, you guys need to repent, turn from your spiritual adultery because you're acting just like my wife. And so well, what ha- the hope was, God had this hope that as they began to see um, Gomer's sin against Hosea, that they would see their own sin. That was God's hope. And so he gave Hosea this basically living analogy of what's happening to Israel, what they're doing to God, in hopes that Israel would come to repentance. So um, so today we're looking at just the last part of this book. And uh, what I want you to know this morning is we're going to touch on a theme we've touched on quite a bit throughout this book, and the theme is basically repentance. There's a lot about repentance in Hosea. You really can't avoid it. And if you're tired of hearing about repentance, then that just proves you need to repent. So if you're tired of hearing about that, then, um, then maybe you're the one that the book is, is geared uh, towards. But here's the situation with Hosea, though, and w- with Gomer. Um, the passage we're looking at today, and also the video we're going to show at the very end, it's going to depict, it's going to look like everything turned out okay. But everything didn't turn out okay. What we're looking at today is basically a picture of what God wants to do in the nation of Israel if they repent. But the funny thing is, they didn't actually repent. I mean, Hosea went through all this anguish in the hopes that they would turn to God and repent, and it didn't happen, at least not here. At least not here. So I don't want to mislead you. The passage we're looking at today, also the video at the end, is going to depict like everything's good, but everything's not good. Because what you're seeing today with, with, the, with the passage and also the video is depicting what God wants to do with the nation if they repent. It's a picture of what things could be, what things could look like if they turned to God in repentance. But the sad part is is that they did not, even after all that Hosea went through. So this morning we're going to mix in quite a bit of discussion with our time up here on the stage, so we'll go back and forth a little bit here on that. But look with me at Hosea chapter 14, verse 1. And it says, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. And we touched on this a couple weeks ago, but I want the main point I want you to get from this first verse. Look what it says, return, O Israel, to who? To who? To the Lord your God. Now, that's one of those phrases we can kind of gloss over, and we just read it and go, yeah, of course, return to God. That's simple. But here's what I want you to see from this one little phrase. 
Repentance is always a returning to a person, to a relationship, not just a return to a bunch of rules. We touched on this a couple weeks ago. I want to make sure you understand this, though. Repentance is a return to a relationship, not just a return to a bunch of rules, right? There are so many people, listen, that will say things like, you know, I've been doing some bad stuff. I've got to get my life back on track. I've got to get it together. I need to stop doing this and start doing this. And what they completely miss is the love relationship that Christ offers them. They don't understand that what these rules are here because there's a relationship that should be central to your life. The rules flow out of the relationship. Now, I know whenever I use the word rules that many of you in your brains, you just kind of turn off and go, okay, I don't like the way that sounds. And I understand no one likes the idea of rules. But let's just be honest for a moment. Every relationship has rules, right? Every relationship has rules. So, so for you to get upset or mad at God for giving rules to our relationship with him is a little bit hypocritical, and here's why. Because every single person in the room can agree that all of your relationships, human relationships, have rules, right? You may not talk about them all the time. You may not tell your friends these rules exist, but if one of those rules gets violated, you get angry. Think about a dating relationship for a moment. Are there rules to a dating relationship? Yeah, pretty much. So if you're in a relationship with someone, let's just picture this. Guy and a girl go out on a date, and they're dating for a while, and they're in a committed dating relationship, whatever that means, right? And they go to a movie together, and the guy sees a friend of his, female friend from school, walks up to her in front of his girlfriend and just kisses her right on the mouth, right? Like, what if this happened, right? Now, should she be angry? Yes, she should. Should he get kicked? Yes, he should right? Now listen, listen. If the girl gets upset, along with her 10 friends, because there would be 10 friends ready to kill this guy. Um, if she gets upset at this guy, listen, listen. Would it be right for him to turn to her and say, come on, like you're so legalistic. You're all about rules. But here's what we do with God. We do that exact same thing with God, do we not? Oh, rules are legalistic. Rules are all about, that's just a burden. But when it comes to our human relationships, we don't think that way. Because we we don't think in the same terms. But God has given us human relationships to point us to a greater relationship with him. So every, every relationship has rules. The problem is you can't, if all you see Christianity as, if you just see it as a bunch of rules, and that's it, then you're completely missing the point. The relationship with him is central, but every relationship has rules. The rules are there to support the relationship. And so when you and I turn in repentance, we're turning back to him as a person, not just ascribing to a list of rules and things to do. The second point I want you to see from this passage is repentance is for the saved, not just the unsaved. Repentance is for the saved, not just for the unsaved. Now, the funny thing about Israel, Israel is God's chosen people. Now, that does not mean every Israelite was saved, quote-unquote. 
to be saved, you still had to have put your faith in Yahweh, in the God of the Old Testament. They didn't know about Christ just yet, at least not in that, that, that name, Jesus Christ. But you still had to put your faith personally in the God of Israel. So there are plenty of people in that nation who had not done that, who were not living that way. But they still had access to the knowledge. So just like you guys here, there are Christians and non-Christians in this room. I am convinced of it. And just like you in this room, if you're an unbeliever, then the way you enter into a relationship with Jesus is through repentance. Right? Repentance. Now, if you're, if you're already a believer, you're already a Christian, the way you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ is the same way, through repentance. The way that you come into a relationship with Jesus is the same way that you grow in Jesus. I'm not saying that you need to repent over and over again to, like, you know, lose your salvation, keep your salvation. I'm not getting into that. You cannot lose your salvation once you're a Christian. But to grow into Christ-likeness, to grow and be sanctified, you need to continually repent as a Christian. This is the thing I think most Christians, Christians will say things to me like, man, I just don't feel like I'm growing. And to me, it's not a mystery. It's always, it always comes back to the issue of, okay, are you going to Jesus? Are you, are you turning from sin, turning towards Jesus Christ? Are you examining your life, having people speak into your life, looking at ways in which you are, you are living in sin, walking in sin? What are those things? Have you turned from those things and turned towards Christ? There has to be a continual repentance throughout the Christian life. This is why we talk about it a lot here at the Outback. So what I want you to do is go through your questions. Go through just questions one, two, and three right now. Just questions one through three. Go ahead and discuss for a few moments. You guys doing good? You're good. All right, let's move on. You have some more discussion throughout as well. But I have to admit something to you. When I was, uh, I grew up in a fairly conservative, like, Southern Baptist church in Virginia. And it was a church where they, they would always have the invitation at the end of a sermon where every week, every week it was the same thing. It was like, hey, come forward, come down front and pray this prayer and become a Christian, right? Now, here's the thing about that. When I was a small child, I mean, they would, they would actually, adults would, like, lead you in this prayer of repentance or this prayer of salvation, as they called it. And what they would say is, you, you, you kind of know the drill. I mean, it was basically saying, Jesus, come into my life, come into my heart, something like that. Forgive me of my sins. Um, there was, like, this initial prayer they said that you had to pray for you to become a Christian. Now, here's what's weird about that. Now, that was a very significant experience for me when I was a kid. I'm not saying it wasn't real, that it wasn't a legitimate thing. But I did that. But I did that several times over, thinking I had to, like, get saved again and again and again, because I'm, I'm not sure the first time took, right? You guys been there before? You've, you've done that before, I'm sure, in your childhood, possibly. And then, as, as many of you guys do impact every year, there's always a bit of discomfort that I feel if we say to these little children, um, I want you to pray this prayer to become a Christian. Now, the reason why I feel slightly uncomfortable with that prayer is because I think people put too much stock in the words themselves and not enough stock in faith, belief. Because it's almost like we're teaching them like a magic formula, like pray this little hocus pocus and, uh, and you'll become a Christian. 
And so I, I started to de-emphasize the prayer itself and try to re-emphasize its faith and belief. But here's the weird thing. I still think you should pray to him and confess and, and do it in a verbal way. I still think that needs to happen. Not saying that you're not saved if that little, ver- that little, little prayer hasn't happened, right? But here's the weird thing. I'm reading through the, this, this passage this week. And in verse 2, we see in verse 2 what I think is the closest thing in the Old Testament to what we call the salvation prayer or the sinner's prayer. And here's the weird part. Hosea is saying to them, say these words. Do it this way, right? And so next time I give you this speech about, you know, don't try to lead these kids to a little prayer like that, you can say, yeah, but Hosea 14, 2 and verse 3 kind of point that direction, do they not? And so I I personally don't think we talk enough here at Overflow about how someone becomes a Christian. Because my biggest fear, because I haven't emphasized that prayer very much, or I haven't emphasized with you guys enough, here's how someone becomes a Christian. So what, what happens is we live in a Christian culture here in Temple, Texas for the most part, and so many of you come into this church building and you just assume either, number one, you're already a Christian, or you assume that by coming here, that's what makes you a Christian. Both of those are wrong assumptions. And so this morning, I want to let you know that if you've not gone through what I think Hosea is leading Israel through, then I don't know that you're a Christian. I don't know that you're a Christian yet. And so look with me at verse 2 of Hosea chapter 14. It says, Take with you words. And return to the Lord. Hosea is saying this to Israel. And return to the Lord. And say to him, he's telling them what to say now. Take away all iniquity. That means take away our sin. Take away our sin. Accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. I know your first response is, that sounds not like the sinner's prayer, right? What's this language about bulls and vows and what is this? But I want you to look close with me at, at each phrase. The first thing I want you to notice where he says, take away all iniquity. He's basically saying, you need to confess your sins to God. You need to confess those things. And so repentance requires confession. Repentance always requires an agreement with God that what I am engaged in is sinful. I've got to agree with him that it's sinful in order for me to ever turn from it, Correct. I can't just turn from it, change my behavior, while still thinking that the behavior is okay. That's not agreeing with God. Repentance always requires confession. And I think it's so important when, when Hosea says, take with you words. I think the words have to be said to God through prayer. I think the words have to be said. Because think about this. Can you imagine if the words weren't said? Let me just break it down for you in a human relationship for a moment. Just imagine for a moment that you're, you're married and the husband, you're the husband, you, you come home, you've had a fight with your wife, an argument, and, and, and you wronged her, right? And you know you were in the wrong, and so you come home and you just give her flowers. You give her flowers and then you walk away. Now, 
all of us know that there'd be something a little empty about that, right? There's something lacking with that. Because you didn't say the words. You didn't say the very simple words of like, hey, I was wrong and I'm sorry. And I'm going to own it. I'm going to acknowledge my guilt. If you don't say the words, if you just bring a little, we'll call it a sacrifice. If you just bring a little sacrifice, here you go. You walk away. There's something that falls short. I'm sure that she would much rather have the apology than she would have the flowers, right? And so this is kind of what Israel would do, though, is they would bring sacrifices to God. God, look at our sacrifices. But Hosea is saying, you guys are lacking something. You're not bringing the words. You're not, you don't have a heart of repentance. You're not confessing to him. You're not saying it out loud. You're not acknowledging your guilt. You're just bringing the flowers. That's all you're doing. And so one of the questions that I often will ask high school students, and I love to ask this question, and it makes them squirm a little bit. I'll say, so tell me how you became a Christian. And, and they'll, they might stumble around and they'll say, well, you know, I started going to church when I was like four and then, uh, you know, yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, let me just say the gospel. All right. Let me just explain the gospel to you. And so I'll start taking them through and here's the passage I always take them to Romans chapter 10 verses nine and 10. Look at the screen. Romans 10 verses nine and 10. If someone asks you the question, listen to me. If someone ever asks you the question, Okay, how does someone become a Christian? You take them to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, because this is the best explanation I can, I can find in the New Testament. Here's what it says. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Here you have it again. Repentance always requires confession. How does confession happen? It happens with the mouth. It is spoken. Now what you see in this passage, though, is a tie-in from the heart to the mouth. It's not like saying, okay, step one, believe in the heart. Check. All right, step two, uh, confess with the mouth. Jesus is Lord. I'm a Christian. Woohoo! Right? It's not like that. It's more like a connection of, hey, whatever you believe in your heart, you're going to confess with your mouth. Whatever you believe in here is going to come out of here. It's going to come out in confession to him through prayer. It's going to come out in confession that he is your God to other people. It's going to happen. It is going to lead to a confession with the mouth. And so it's not just the confession with the mouth, but there's, there's this internal heart belief that must be present. It's not just intellectual belief. It's not just, yes, I agree that these things happened in history, that Jesus Christ died on the cross, that he rose again. I just believe that it happened. No, it requires a personal faith and trust. You're putting your personal faith and trust in that truth, in that reality for yourself, Right? You're counting on him for salvation. You're counting on his work, not your work for salvation. So I want you to know that's a, that's a passage you can take someone to. Um, if, you, if, you, if, you're, if you're being asked the question, what, how does someone become a believer? How does someone become a Christian? 
The next point I want you to get from Hosea chapter uh, 14, verse 2, is repentance requires an acknowledgement of guilt. Repentance always requires an acknowledgement of guilt. So you cannot, I met with a guy about a year ago before he went off to college. I just want to make sure I knew where he was at spiritually. And I just was trying to talk him through the gospel. And I said, so tell me, like, why does someone need to become a Christian? What's the point? And he said, well, I just think, he said, I just think it hel- he, he, Jesus helps you. Helps you with what? He helps you with, with life. I'm going, okay, that, I kind of get what you're saying, but that's not really the gospel, dude. Like, that's not the gospel. It's not that he's like your little good luck charm. He's not your little good luck genie, right? Where he helps me with, with strength as I go through life. That's not the full gospel. Like, you, you don't become a Christian until you acknowledge your guilt before him and say, Jesus, I need you to save me. That's your biggest need. You cry out to him with that kind of need. I need you to save me from my sin. I'm not sure you become a Christian. I know you don't become a Christian until you make that cry out to him. Right? The next point I want you to get with this this, uh, section is repentance requires faith in the sacrifice of Jesus. So here we go to the, the, we will pay with the bulls. Like, what in the world is that? Well, back then, as you know, they had Old Testament sacrifice. They had many sacrifices they had to do. Now, the sacrifice itself alone was not what saved them. It was their faith in the God who told them to make the sacrifice. Because the sacrifice pointed them to who? Who to point to? Jesus. Thank you. Someone said the right answer. I was, I was worried there for a moment. Um, so the, all the sacrifices pointed to Jesus, who was going to be the ultimate sacrificial lamb, the ultimate sacrifice. And so in this prayer, so to speak, they are putting their faith in the coming sacrifice of Jesus Christ. By them carrying out these these sacrifices and rituals, they are essentially putting their faith in the sacrifice of Jesus. So I want you to know this morning that you cannot come to repentance, come to faith in Jesus Christ, unless you put your faith in the sacrifice that he made on the cross. It's not just a you know, charming story, because the crucifixion is not that charming anyway, is it? Right? So you put your faith and trust in the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. Look at verse 3. This is still, they're still kind of going through the sinner's prayer here. Verse 3, it says, Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. So another confusing passage. Here's what they're doing though. They are naming their idols, right? They are putting their faith in Assyria, unholy alliances. They are putting their faith in military might and idolatry. And you and I do the exact same thing. Just like Israel put their faith in unholy relationships, so do we. We align ourselves with people that we know are going to bring us down in the same way that Israel did. So this completely relates to us. So the question is, what are you putting your faith in? What are your idols? If you could name your idols the way that Israel's doing here, what would, those, what would they be called? What would they be called? So the main point I want you to get from this passage is repentance requires that we name our idols. I think it's good for you to sit there in prayer with, with God and say, God, I want to confess these things to you, and you name your 
idols. I've been putting my faith in a relationship. I've been putting my faith in success at school. I've been putting my faith in a sport that will bring me popularity and identity. I'm putting my faith in my own strength in the weight room. I'm putting my identity in things that are apart from you. And I want to name those things, and I want to confess those things specifically to you. Because here's the deal, guys. Listen, it's very easy to confess generic sin to God, right? It's very easy to say, God, I want to confess my sins to you. And God's like, oh, really? What would those be? I mean, God knows. But he wants you to name them. Because for you to really own your sin, you've got to name your sin. You've got to name your idols. We cannot be vague about our sin and idolatry. So with that, go ahead and do questions four, five, and six at your tables. Go go ahead and discuss. Okay, I know I'm cutting you off a little bit, but... I want, to, I want you to see the video to close out, and then we're going to have some more discussion at the very end. So I want to make sure we don't go over time here. So look at one last verse, verse 4 of chapter 14. And here, don't watch the video. Just we'll go back to the slides there. Yeah, there we go. All right, so look at verse 4. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I want you to see this morning, and our last point is this. Repentance always leads to healing. Repentance always leads to healing. And this morning, I want to make just an invitation, not up here to the stage this morning, but I want you just to take this invitation with you and, and, and act on it as you feel led. But I want, to, I want you to know this morning that um, I do feel like sometimes we are kind of vague in how we talk about how someone becomes a Christian. And I apologize for that. That's on me up here at the front, because I don't want to assume that you all just know. I don't want to assume that you just know, yeah, you just walk into church, and you just kind of hang out with church people, and that makes you a Christian. That's not how it happens. I want to be very clear this morning. Listen, look at me. I want to be very clear this morning that if you have never come to a place in your life when you have realized that you're a sinner separated from God because of your sin, and you have crossed over from unbelief to belief, and you've come to a place in your life and you've said, Jesus, I want to put my faith and my trust in you and your finished work on the cross. I'm acknowledging my guilt. I want to confess my sin to you. I want to turn away from my sin and turn towards you in a faith relationship. If you've never come to a place where you have said those words to God, confess it to him in prayer, then I'm not sure that you're a Christian. I'm not. I'm not sure. And so my encouragement to you, to you is if you feel convicted by that, I want you to go home today, get on your knees, you cry out to God for salvation if you feel convicted by that. Because I don't want to have anybody leave this high school ministry and not know where they stand with God. Now, if you, if you hear that invitation, you say, I don't want that. Well, then you've made a decision. It's a bad decision, but you've made your decision. But my hope is that you would still you'd know where you stand with God today. And so just like Hosea is crying out for, to Israel saying, turn from your sin and, and pray this to God, 
I am saying that to you this morning. If you don't know where you stand with God this morning, then my invitation to you is to hopefully get on your knees today and cry out to him a prayer like what Hosea led the nation of Israel through. And that you would repent and turn to Jesus. Because he offers you healing. Because here's the reality. Listen, listen, listen to me. Look at me. Every single one of you is looking for that anyway. You're looking for healing. You're looking for that in your human relationships. You're looking for it, fulfillment and healing everywhere you turn is usually you're looking for the, the thing that only Jesus can offer. And so my hope is that you would find it there. I know that you'll find it there. My hope is that you would, you would turn to him knowing that he's the only one that can truly offer you the healing that you're looking for. And so we've been looking at um, a, a video series as we've, as we've gone through Hosea. Today is the last video. And the main point of Hosea, and it's wrapped up in this video as well, is that God's love doesn't quit. God's love doesn't quit. And so as I mentioned before, the video is going to show something that wasn't reality for Hosea and for Gomer, and it wasn't reality for Israel and God, but it was a picture of what God wanted to see happen. If they would only turn back to him, this is what he offered them. Let's go ahead and watch.
Let's finish that with your last few questions. And whenever you're finished, go ahead and pray your tables.